Joan A. Rimmer's book, The Village That Was Formby, is now presented as a full audio book. If you would like a copy of the book, and there are a few remaining, you can email us at formbypodcast.com. Prices, £25. The recordings were made during the COVID-19 restrictions. Through bitter darkness and despair, I sadly bore the pain until the sadness sparked a light which made me live again. From all the wretched hopelessness which seemed my fate in time, the joy of precious days gone by poured out in words of rhyme. Those simple melancholic poems, some happy and some sad, touch chords of pure nostalgia for the times we all once had. The copies flew around the world, more tears than mine were shed, by kindred souls in foreign lands, for youthful dreams now dead. Not dead, but just forgotten, in the mists of yesterday, brought back to life in times of loss to think about today. The memories of a gentler age are treasures to be shared when we lived the simple village life and everybody cared. The village. The name on the street map is shown Chapel Lane, but that name's hardly known and not used. The village is how it has always been known, and no one is very amused. A traffic-free zone is what some people want. Let the cars travel through, others say. Does it really much matter, the locals retort? It's been ruined and spoiled anyway. The character's gone is the general lament of those old enough to recall. And the village was just what its name would imply, full of shops for the needs of us all. Old Bill Swift, Mr Bills, Tilly Woodfin and co. Just two banks and a shoe mender man. Sophie Smith, Mrs Clark, Charlie Stevens were there, and they all fitted into the plan. Then the banks and building societies came. The estate agents, offices too. Accountants, solicitors, all filled the space which big business had needed them to. The family firms, which had been here for years, have all gradually faded away. No Rimmers, no Aldersons, Elliots or Wrights. What a shame they weren't able to stay. For the big chestnut trees are still spreading their leaves and the conkers still blossom and fall. And the children still come to collect them each year, though the damage they do would appall. It isn't the same, and it isn't as nice, but it's still not a bad sort of place. Time couldn't stand still, and we had to move on, but we've used up so much of the space. So the village is still what it always has been, the hub of community life. Let us leave it alone, 
let it rest for a while, just at peace from upheaval and strife. The Queens. A clapped out piano sets the scene with a woman sitting near the screen, pounding the keys for our delight down at the Queens on Saturday night. The noisy film reels clatter round, producing the pictures and the sound, not always synchronised quite right, down at the Queens on Saturday night. No sleazy sex or violence, just films to cheer, not cause offence. Old Mother Riley walk her white, down at the Queens on Saturday night. George Formby strumming on his uke, Will Hay with cane and reading book. Dorothy Bob and Bing take flight, down at the Queen's on Saturday night. Sixpence, ninepence, one and three was what you paid for entrance fee. Squeaky seats and flickering lights, down at the Queen's on Saturday nights. Sally Horton and Old May, flashing the torches down the way, ushering films in black and white, down at the Queen's on Saturday night. No one cared if the film broke down, it didn't even bring a frown. It was quite expected that it might, down at the Queen's on Saturday night. The slow decline in movie shows meant sad farewell, the Queen's must close. The lights were dimmed, we said good night to the dear old Queen's on Saturday night. Our Lady's School. I watched so sadly as a crowd of bricks and mortar tumbled down. Oak beams and rafters sturdy still were smashed beneath the wreckers drill. This seat of learning once revered by boys and girls of yesterdays had stood so proudly through the years of wars, depression, changing ways. But now it lies a flattened mass, born of victorious craftsmen true. Fine architecture built to last, but gone forever from our view. Praise God, not mammon we were taught, but somehow we forgot. The riches gained from what we've lost have laid our souls and conscience bare. Lost generations softly sigh, beneath the tombstone standing by. What have they done that men may say, our lady's school has passed away? Viking village. This Viking village now has gone from dreamy lanes and spreading fields where yeomen farmers till the soil and fishermen brought in their yield. A far cry now from village life of blacksmith, squire and rural, rural scene when cottages adorned the land, their thatch from crops the reaper gleaned. A simple, carefree, close-knit clan when man would help, not, not hinder man. Where did it go? What have we lost? Much richer now, but at what cost? The fields, the ditches, lanes are gone, as progress madly marches on. Where are the trees that stood so tall and beautified each spring and fall? The rimmers, Maudsleys, Aindos, lights, diminish sadly from the fold, are shadowed now by names quite strange gone places spread around the globe. A sprawling, noisy, busy town, which now transcends that lazy life, where residents don't settle down, but travel on to higher sites. From both ends of the social scale, caustic diction through to cultured tone, 
few local accents still remain as indication of their home. To those whose ancestry goes back through countless generations here, a certain sadness shows a lack of comprehension, thoughts unclear. How did this transformation come? Why was it here they chose to stay? This village where life was humdrum has gone forever far away. How glad are those whose roots lie deep in humble, honest, hiking earth, for they still see with eyes that weep the memory of the place of birth. Joan Holden's shop. Joan Holden's shop was a paradise mess. Whatever you asked for, she always said yes. Buttons and tea towels, slippers and socks, hankies, pyjamas or shoes in a box. Underwear, cotton reels, needles and thread, knitting wool, collar studs, sheets for the bed, trousers and dresses, ribbons and pins, tea coaters, hairnets, gloves for the twins, elastic, shoelaces, laces and bibs, dressing gowns, jewellery, even pen nibs, material for deck chairs or curtains or shirts, buckles and hair combs, aprons and skirts, coat hangers, belts, and hair clips and slides, cardigans, jumpers, and lots more besides. In fact, when you visited Joan Holden's shop, you knew you would never catch her on the hop. Her passengers left a remarkable gap. Where will Dad go for that natty flat cap? Her shop wasn't classy or tidy or neat, quite the reverse, but it couldn't be beat eccentric, hard-working, and totally good. She'll long be remembered if not understood, with Maisie and Nora and Josie as well. There was nothing you wanted that they didn't sell. The village school. At the end of the village was Trinity School. Three classrooms, that's all, and three teachers to rule. Miss Riley, Miss Coleshaw, Miss Heaton were they who taught us and helped us at work and at play. Miss Culshaw was clever because she drove a car. Miss Heaton was pretty and younger by far. Miss Riley, the headmistress, famed and renowned, so tall and so frightening, she bellowed so loud. She had a voice like a man, and she had a strange hat, which she wore all her life, we were certain of that. At adding and takeaways and spelling too, we daren't get it wrong, we were terrified too. The fear inculcated by Lillian R. Would be frowned on today as too ruthless by far. But beneath all the bluster and outward veneer, she was kindly and caring, and not too severe. Now when we look back to the days of our we surely can say with absolute truth, happy though disciplined, safe yet prepared for whatever life offered, by teachers who cared. Browse Lane. The village stops and then Browse Lane continues on with shops again, like one continuous thoroughfare, but once those rows of shops weren't there. The post office was all that stood, beside the bank as right it should, then Trinity School was next in line, attractive buildings, stout and fine. Right opposite, a lovely house. The Elms at first, its name pronounced. A change of ownership had meant the Priory came and the Elms then went. 
great elm trees growing in the grounds, plants in profusion all around, a pretty corner, quite serene, so normal to the former scene. A parrot in his cage swung high, outside the door and passers-by would whistle loudly to the bird, whose strong reply was clearly heard. Just memories now recall that scene, where such tranquility had been. The planners took it all away, and nothing's left of yesterday. Ashcroft's Chippy. The queue was a that wartime had bred. It was something expected of all. No shoving or pushing, no moaning or rushing. We patiently waited our call. Our rations were meagre, our money was scarce, but we blithely accepted our lot. With a war on, we knew that things could get worse and were thankful for what we had got. Wherever we went to was always a chore, but nobody seemed much to care. The butchers, the bakers and candlestick makers had little to serve us with there. But the busiest place and the much longest queue was a chippy so cheap and so good. It was friendly and warm and steam ran down the wall and good value was well understood. The chips were just coppers and so were the fish and the batter bits tasted a treat. They fell off the fish, cost a halfpenny a dish, so who cared that we couldn't get meat? What a haven it was, what a saviour of life. It was packed to the doors every day. Good hot nourishing food to feed many a brood and the mothers quite able to pay. The soldiers and airmen poured in every night, met their girlfriends and all of their mates. They'd no money to spare, but they loved to be there and the best place to meet all their dates. That chippy was Ashcroft's, the one we loved best. It was second to none without doubt. They worked harder than most and so cod that could boast would taste better than scampi or trout. Those days are long gone and the war has been won and the chippy well answered the call. It fed us and reared us, it warned us and cheered us when we all had our backs to the wall. Whoever would think that a chippy could be so important in war and in peace, but whoever remembers that chippy today knows the happiness served with the grease. Wallace's Fair. Flashing lights and blaring sound, bobby horses whirling round. Excitement for us all, a penny a ride the man would call. Round and round the horses flew, children screaming as they do, when wild excitement reaches heights. The maze of fairy lights, the whole of Formby came each night, to sample all the fair's delights. The Bay Horse Field was quite transformed and everybody's hearts were warmed. They'd all the things to bring real joy to man and woman, girl and boy. Rolling pennies, throwing mops, swing boats, waltzers, they were tops. You'd even win a threepenny bit if all the tins your mop could hit and then you'd have another go to try again with one more throw. Too soon the week would fly away, the caravans packed and on their way, the lights extinguished, music gone, Royce's fair was travelling on. The shore, long summer days, school holidays, always it seemed to be warm, sandwiches packed, 
Off we all tracked to the shore like bees in a swarm. Off on our bikes, even on trikes, our parents knew we were fine. Sun, sand and sea, nothing could be better for kids at that time. Sand hills were steep, stargrass grew deep. We ran and chased through it all. Laughter and joy for each girl and boy tossing an old tennis ball. Nothing to pay, free every day. We splashed and swam in the waves. Jellyfish found, digging around. Sand tunnels made into caves. Exotic shells, lovely harebells. Pebbles so smooth and so round. Morning till night, loving the sight of the sea washing in on the ground. Tired and spent, dirty we went. Back home exhausted to bed. Happy to be here in Formby with our playground, the shore just ahead. Rimmers. On the corner of the village was a shop with the name emblazoned right across the top. That name was part of Formby's heritage, quite symbolic of our former Viking age. Rimmers was that proud and famous name and their shop was full of fruit and fish and game. Their windows were a lovely sight to see piled with fruit and veg in perfect symmetry. Great huge pyramids of apples, firm and round, next to oranges shaped in a perfect mound. All the veggies you could ever hope to need, neatly stacked and on display for us to feed. Mr Jim was on the side with all the fruit, and Mr Bob, the fish and poultry, followed suit. Mr Bill, the market transport, organised and Miss Nellie ran the van delivery side. Miss Shan and Elsie Bridge kept the accounts, while Dixie Ashton weighed the fish in right amounts. Mrs Rimmer, Mrs Ward and Marcia too, along with Betha, made a really first-class crew. For a hundred years the family served us well, and, and they always would, as far as we could tell. But there sadly dawned the day the lines came down, when our village woke and found it was the pound. The priest house. The Roman Catholic faith was strong and tolerated in that day. A church was needed for the throng of worshippers to kneel and pray. The church was built along School Lane and mass was celebrated there until the orange monarchs came and put an end to sacred prayer. The priest house standing quite close by so stoutly built by Formby's squire, stood empty now and wondered why God's love for man by man should tire. Religious differences prevailed and Catholics once more were outcast. Their hearts were rent, they wept and wailed, but still their faith held strong and fast. Their church for worship was closed down, but that would not deter the flock. The Lord with mercies would then crown their faith would stand firm as a rock. In secret they assemble then along the lane at the priest house. What shard the cry would warn the men to hide and keep quiet as a mouse. Two hundred years have rolled away. The fortunes of the house have changed. Irreverence followed till the day its use was fully rearranged. A farmhouse later it became with pigs and cows around the land. Oh, Teddy Maudsley was the name of the new occupant on hand. The priest house days were numbered now. Another war had sealed its fate. 
evacuees replaced the cows. Soon history would evaporate. The 1950s came around and Formby's building boom began. That great historic house came down, a victim of expansion's plan. Those unconcerned with history see just a pleasant road today. Religious strife and mystery lost in the past of yesterday. The May Blitz, a direct hit from Jerry's bomb, made Liverpool look like the Somme. Where can we go? What shall we do? Our homes are gone, our families too. A dreadful week with no respite from Hitler's wrath and Nazi might. The terrace houses all aflame. What price to pay in freedom's name? Why is this happening to our port? The people's war is being fought. Why pick on us? What have we done to tantalize and rile the hun? A full week passed and still they came. The Messerschmitts to kill and maim. The awful carnage, blazing fires, the sky alight like funeral pyres. We've had enough, we'll have to go. Our friends inform me, they will know where we can rest and get away from all this horror night and day. So weary, just for peace they pined. By any means that they could find, they left their ruined city for some refuge from that evil war. What utter bliss, what calm and peace, true friends to help, the noise to cease. Refreshed, restored in clean, fresh air, a world away from fear and care. The blitz was done, the city scarred. What bits were left were black and charred. But Churchill said we'd win the war. We knew we could, we'd win and more. The city would be built again. Lots of the people would remain. But Formby's rural country face would see a change affect the place. And so it was, it grew and grew and lost the charm the locals knew. The war must take most of the blame. Why Formby now is not the same. Formby, we knew it once when we were small, but did we really see it all? The beauty we just took as ours, whilst playing in the fields for hours. The trees we climbed and hid inside, their trunks and branches spreading wide, the brambles scratching racing legs, the birds' nests full of speckled eggs. The farmyard bars with bales of hay beside the shippen where each day the milkman's hands coaxed forth the milk with rhythmic movements smooth as silk. The countryside which met the sea, wide open spaces wild and free. The seagulls wheeling overhead, how will it look when we are dead? No fields, no farms, no trees to climb. Our children now don't have the time. Life rushed away at frantic pace. We hurtled on through time and space. We were to blame. We did not try. Whilst living, we let Formby die. It grew, it flourished, then it burst. We watched as progress did its worst. Our ghostly spectres now look down on an affluent suburban town and shake each sad, bewildered head as how it looks now we are dead. Church Road. From the top of Church Road right down to Cross Green, what a mixture of rural delight. Some nice houses, three farms, 
several shops and a school, with the police station there on the right. Bubbles Dickinson's hardware and chandlery shop, right opposite Greenhalgh's place. Mrs Cairns on the corner past Bobby Neal's pies, and the cafe for feeding Bill Face. Bradley's Yeomans, then Cranshaw's and Tommy McGee, cutting hair for the tannery go. Mr Golding and Brookie with mouths full of tacks, mending shoes with a new heel or toe. Ashcroft's chip shop came next, and then over the road, Frankie Wright with a marvellous stock of cigarettes, sweets, and a host of good things, from a teapot to carbolic block. Next door, Boardman and Tethros for grocery goods, and the co-op just opposite there. Wilson's garage for petrol for automobiles, and a pump to fill tyres full of air. The Guild Hall, so popular Saturday nights, where the girls met their future husband at the dances with Bernard and Norman and Jack, playing well in their fine three-piece band. Bill Hunter's farm first, Jossie Rimmer's the next, and their cows used the road like a track, herding along from the farms to the fields, then from milking they all herded back. The rosy red apples on Jossie's big trees were temptation to all of the boys, but six policemen right opposite worked like a charm and the orchard was safe from their claws. Next to the police station, old Mr. Parr, with his garage constructed of tin. He mended our punctures and fixed up our bikes and sold cans full of blue paraffin. Rothwell's stores were across with Bob Hogg at the till, serving bacon and bread and the like. Very handy for mothers who met out their tots from our ladies at four every night. Stevens and Hooks with their haulage firm next, past the school where Marquette ruled the roost. Then the Bay with Alcox, both Lily and May, so run down, gave no business to boost. Some more great big houses, then right at the end, Walker's Farm with the pony to stroke. What a wonderful stroll down a major main road, where each step of the way someone spoke. For those who recall those far halcyon days, and our lives were much simpler than now. We were lucky to know just what Formby was like when the village lived under the plough. To the brook, straight down Bullcop and out over the field, hop over the stile, our happiness sealed. With jam jars and fishing nets and old tin cans, we clutched tightly for what we could catch with our hands. Fishing nets made with a nail and a cane, Old stockings the net as we ran down the lane to the ditch by the brook where the tiddlers and frogs and jack sharks swam round in the reeds and the logs. All day we would play catching all that we could, fill the jam jars with tiddlers and handfuls of mud. Then back home we went past the barn and Rose Farm. Scruffy children wet through but free from all harm. What a great way of life with no worries or cares. A tin bath in the living room, then up the stairs, to our dreams of tomorrow when we'd all start again, with our jam jars and fishing nets off down the lane. The Gala. Bank holiday Monday, the sun always shone. The village turned out every single last one to join in the races and happy sideshows and meet all the neighbours that everyone knows. 
the Rose Queen so pretty with full retinue, the band playing well as they came into view, the long field just behind the guild hall, where the long four performance was waiting for all. Descend from the wagons, then onto the stage, where the Rose Queen sat down, helped along by her page. The crowning was done, and we all did. The photographer snapped them, and then disappeared. The kids' dress was a popular class, with Snow White formed as triplets, a big beer glass. Such ingenious ideas made from old odds and ends, by the mums and the dads and the aunties and friends. The sports and races of all different kinds, the children excited and out of their minds, at the prospect of winning a prize or a cup, if they got to the finish without tripping up. The sack race, obstacles, plain running track, the ladies race with little Nell at the back. She was such a good sport, overweight and rotund, that she ran like a gun to swell the church fund. The highlight was always the great Formby Mile, as the men and the boys set off with a smile. Peter Bradshaw, the champion, was there at the last to pick up the cup as the winning post passed. Tommy Ledger was shouting and taking the cash as the big wheel of fortune was round in a flash. When the fingers stopped moving and came home to rest, you knew if you'd lost or had feathered your nest. That August bank holiday came every year, accepted and cherished as something held dear. But as our sleepy village grew up and got lost, a whole way of life disappeared to our cost. Bygone days. Country folk with country accents, everyone knew everyone. Leafy lanes and grassy meadows, no one thought of rushing on. Buttercups and four-leaf clover, celandine and hollyhocks. Flowers growing in the hedgerows, children blowing dandelion clocks. Lots of dusty lanes to wander, daisy chains and marigolds, many ditches filled with frog spawn, cattle in the old pin foals, making hay from dawn till sunset, stooks of corn set in the fields, farmers bringing in the harvest, toiling as the church bell peals, butterflies fluttering gently round us, autumn conkers on a string, oak and elm and ash and poplar, Sycamore pods fly like a wind, blackberry picking in the evenings, dewberries growing by the shore, gorse and vetch and foxgloves blooming. Who could ever ask for more? Is this memory just a daydream? Past and gone just like a kiss. How can we convince our children? Formby once was just like this. Tasker. A tumble-down shack on a man from the wars, whose life seemed so simple without any cause. Some old mongrel dogs and a battered tin pan. The Sandhills were home to this solitary man. We knew him as Tasker and thought him quite odd. A remote and strange character, off he would plod, with down-at-heel shoes and tattered old togs, as he trailed from the shore with his sack and his dogs. His knowledge and culture belied by his looks. His life just revolved round his pets and his books. He'd rejected a world he could not understand for the plants and the wildlife, the sea and the sand. He lived very frugally, liked his pint pot. The cold and the wet seemed to bother him not. 
Throughout all the seasons, his life was the same. He survived snow and rain, and when the winds came. Looked down on by many for what he commends. His dogs were his family, the seagulls his friends. His lifestyle for him was contentment sublime, and to live close to nature was never a crime. No home, no possessions, no job, and no wife. He did nothing, went nowhere, wasted his life. Why should we remember and talk of him still? He's part of our folklore, and that's why we will. The Embassy. The Embassy cinema, so plush and so grand, where the lads and the lasses would go hand in hand, Jack Maudsley in uniform, smartly attired, greeting the patrons, both young and retired. A click round the ear if the boys misbehave, then across to the grapes for his thirst to be saved. Back for the interval, shining his light, as though he'd been there for the whole of the night. Stephanie Hilton was there with the box office flap. Our ticket shot out from a brass ticket trap. We'd then go inside with the queue moved along, take our seats for the show, which would never go wrong. Red velvet seats, well upholstered and clean. Lovely carpets, posh lights, and a big flashy screen. This was no flea pit for any old scruffs. The elite were the patrons, in fur coats and muffs. Two and threes up the stairs to the balcony seats, where the upper crust classes would go for their treats. Technicolour films with no hitches or gaffs, and cartoons designed to produce lots of laughs. Downstairs in the one and nines on the back row, where the sweethearts who always missed half of the show, paying far more attention to what went on there than to watching the dancing of graceful Esther. At the front of the ninepennies, just past the rail, the noise from the youngsters would rise up the scale. Cricks in their necks looking up at the screen, which was too high above to be properly seen. The interval lights would illumine the place, and the girls would go out then to powder their face, while the boyfriends would buy them an ice cream or chops, or a packet of bags and a swan, swan vestas box. If the film had been sad, we would then mop our eyes, blow our noses and smile as we got up to rise, and file down the aisles to get to the doors, where Jack Morsley was standing on duty, of course. We all loved the embo and queued every night to see Hedy Lamar or a good cowboy fight. But a long time ago do those memories seem. But it's only last week when you've just said in green. The village bobbies. They had no need for walkie-talkies, no need at all for panda cars. Our bobbies here used shanks as polling and never went to seminars. No brass hats breathing down their necks here. No forms in triplicate to write. Just leisured strolls around the village, keeping watch by day and night. We knew them all, and they knew us then. Respected, held in high esteem. These seven men were our protectors. Reliable, trusted, first-rate team. Then Formby was a quiet backwash. Open doors, no bolts and bars. Crime was almost non-existent, and hardly any motor cars. Fred Besick was the tall and lean one. Small moustache and big flat feet. We all felt safe with Fred amongst us, pounding round his Formby beat. Norman Brooks, the quiet shy one, played piano in the band. 
But don't forget he's still a pauper. Toe the line for feel his hand. Bob Greenhorse was the big, the fun chap. Crime detection was his game. Sergeant Coulthard at the station. Watch your step. They knew your name. George Davidson and Big Bill Hoptoff were the men we all admired. Plus PC Rook, the mounted policeman. All hoped they'd stay till they retired. In such a law-abiding village, seven policemen seemed a lot. But pay was low and no inflation meant the best was what we got. Men of honour, poorly paid then, on social hours but quite content. Our formby bobbies were our mentors and we miss them when they went. Thank you, Formby Urban District Council. Once we had a district council, once we knew our place. Once our chairman, Jimmy Rimmer, was a well-known face. Once we had our own officials, once we knew them all. Once we used our council office, like our own town hall. Once when Harold Turner ordered, once they heard the shout, once our workmen knew their workload, they would all turn out. Once Bob Sutton swept our roads clean, once our park was neat, once we had a thatched pavilion where we all could meet, once when John Breeze was the kingpin, once we knew the score, once when Formby was just Formby, we seemed to matter more. Now we have no Formby council, now we've lost our way, now we're just a part of seven completely gone astray. The library shop, the Lancashire County Library. It was a wondrous place to be when you were only just turned three. And then when you were over four, the great delights were even more. From five or six were better still. So many things to cause a thrill. Seven, eight, nine, ten, as minds awoke, came endless treasures for young folk. For you could go there on your own, without your mum or dad, alone. Where could this pleasure palace be? The fairground, park, or by the sea? Those venues all give real delight, but only if the weather's right. This paradise of endless joy was free to every girl and boy. By reading, you could live each word. Be brave or clever, strong or scared. Those days had no expansive hall or endless stock for one and all. A tiny shop supplied the need of those whose hobby was to read. Despite its very modest size, that library shop enthralled our eyes. No lettered person with degree behind the desk in old Formby. Just Mrs. Derbyshire in charge and literary wants were none too large. She frightened us a little bit, but then most grown-ups always did. Her long black dress and glasses small, perched on her nose to see us all. How greatly things have changed today. Technology now leads the way. That tiny library shop is gone, replaced by a much grander one. But it's so nice to think back then, how simple things were when you're ten. The Milk Round. Saturday morning, daylight was dawning, out of our beds we shot, down to the farm, peaceful and calm, where the horse waited ready to trot. Each of us took turns, loaded the milk churns, onto the old milk float. Ladles were ready, Dolly stood steady, the reins loosely tied at her throat. 
Kurt Lawton was waiting and anticipating how many children would be, bright-eyed but yawning at seven that morning, aboard for the ride that was free. Riding the milk round over the rough ground, bumping along with the horse. This was like paradise. Nothing could be so nice. Heaven was like this, of course. Stop at each house gate, stagger with milk crate, down the front path to the door. Fill up the milk jug or the old pint mug. Sometimes a tip was in store. Back to the stable, ready and able to unload the churns on the floor. Into the dairy, whitewashed and airy, the milk round was over once more. This was the way then we used to play when the TV set hadn't been born. Countryfied pleasures were our simple treasures each Saturday morning at dawn. The Boathouse. In childhood days, we never knew the history of the lifeboat crew. We didn't know we'd led the way and launched a boat in Liverpool Bay. To us, the boathouse was the shop and cafe where we bought our pot, its sloping roof down to the shore and gaping massive wide front door. Coal cobbles covered with blown sand. We walked upon bare feet to stand and changed the bottles we had found for copper pennies large and round. A huge enclosure quite close by, beside the sea, beneath the sky, where all our bikes were in a stack, unlocked and safely we came back. The sea was clear, the shore was clean, hard ridges where the tide had been, wrecked boats and driftwood where our toys, sandhills resounding with our noise. A setting sun joined sea and sky, Back to the boathouse we would fly, collect our bikes and ride away. What perfect end, perfect day. The swamp. In winter months when snow lay deep and all of nature seemed asleep, down to the swamp we'd make our way and spend each frosty day at play. The ice formed solid as a rock. Dozens of children all would flock to slide and skid between the reeds tentative steps to dizzy speeds. No expert skaters, raw recruits, no proper skates, just belly boots. We slipped and fell and staggered back, not caring if the ice should crack. As winter's grip released its hold, we bid goodbye to ice and cold. The swamp returned to soggy slush with spiky weed and straight bulrush. Now Gardner Road lies on the top, of our dear swamp beyond Bullcock, where gentle pussy willows grew when all the world to us was new. Asparagus. Down by the pines the asparagus grew, a food much beloved by the affluent few, in pure form be sand by the edge of the sea. It was planted and grown, this delicacy. Jimmy Lowe was acclaimed as asparagus king, his crops were world famous and bundles he'd bring to sell in the village from humble small shops and transport on his lorries these wonderful crops. The gentry, the royals, all partook of his wares. His daughters worked hard as the labours they shared. Such lovely young girls slaving into the night in a season so short and a schedule so tight. Just casual help and all hands to the pump a frantic workload before they could slump and know that their efforts were their own rewards 
in supplying this food to both princes and lords. Hornby asparagus was famed and renowned throughout all the country, and it could be found on fine royal plates and in great hallowed halls, at society weddings and county hunt balls. Those asparagus fields can no longer be found, no more feathery ferns in that poor barren ground. As agricultural industry withered and died, Pine Tree Farm disappeared with the incoming tide. Harrington Barracks. Hundreds of houses cloaked the land where once the regiments did stand. Young soldiers shattered from Dunkirk, back from a nightmare they'd not shirk. In rags and tatters they were clad, the lucky ones who were just glad to have survived the beaches where so many friends they'd left back there. The peace of Formby's quiet lanes, stark contrast to the battle pains, from bloody beach to silent shore, these weary men were home once more. Greenberry and the khaki cap, where was this Formby on the map? A place they'd never even heard, now here their billets they all shared. Formby was teeming with the troops, marching feet and stamping boots, battalions lined up on parade, and children watching unafraid. Exciting times for children's eyes. Sweet innocence, a priceless prize, oblivious of the cruel war that brought us sights unseen before. Those soldiers left, a few returned to make their homes and livings earned. In this small village once unknown, they laid their roots and called it home. The years passed by, the barracks died. Fields, trees and flowers all expired as houses sprang up smart and new to change that lovely rural view. When we look back across the years, when times were hard with many fears, how could we ever visualize that vast estate before our eyes? Such natural beauty all around, so many wildflowers to be found. Now they're all gone and in their place, a homestead for the human race. It had to be, it had to grow, but we were lucky we could know the way it was in times gone by when what we loved grew up to die. DJ night, long trestle tables down the middle of the road, sandwiches, jellies and cakes by the load. Despite the food rations and those dreadful BUs, War was over at last, we knew we wouldn't lose. Victory was celebrated all round the land, and here in Little Formby the parties were grand. Great bonfires with Tojo propped up on the tops, and in the fields we were dancing amid the cow flops. Union jacks, lots of bunting, a wonderful scene. Kids united with dads they didn't know and hadn't seen. Life was good once again, the deprivation would be gone. We could pick up the pieces and simply carry on. The men and the boys who were lost in the war paid the ultimate price for our freedom once more. Sadness and joy intertwined with relief that a bright new tomorrow could be our belief. When we sang and we danced back in 1945, the future looked good and hope very much alive. Life went on, people prospered, the welfare state came, bringing apathy, greed, 
and nothing was the same. Life today is much easier in very many ways, but those dark days of Hitler seem happier days when we all pulled together and did what we could to help one another in a place that was good. What's happened here in Formby is mirrored round the land. Places grow, people change as progress is planned. But did it need to change out so dramatically that now we're just another place with no identity? The marmalade cart. Here we had no main drain sewerage. Here a cesspool flowed. And every Friday early morning, the chariot hit the road. Here we had no sanitation. Here the cockerel crowed. And every Friday early morning, the chariot hit the road. Here we had endangered species. Here the natterjack crowed. And every Friday early morning, the chariot hit the road. Here the bucket down the garden. Here the candles glowed. And every Friday early morning, the chariot hit the road. Here was Hagen on the back seat, here to fetch the load. And every Friday early morning, the chariot hit the road. When we think of bygone Formby, a picturesque abode, do we forget that every Friday, the muck cart hit the road? The War Memorial, Armistice Day, cloudy and grey, the forces, the police on parade, processions so long, people would throng in respect of the sacrifice made. Fresh in the minds, memory finds the time when those lost lives had been, the husbands and sons destroyed by the guns in two wars that were wholly obscene. Khaki and blue, everyone knew as they marched from the church to the cross with all civic heads to honor the dead of the wars that created such loss. The cross stood erect, a mark of respect, in a corner of our village plot. The names which it bore were with us no more, for eternity now was their lot. The memorial stands on well-blundled land, a gift to the villagers here, but never shall we forget what we see and be grateful for all we hold dear. A symbol of pride, the shops alongside call their names like the men long since gone. As we hurry on by, do we stop and think why these young men were denied to live on? They fought and they died that we could abide in an island of freedom and choice. Though their form has gone, their names will live on. Through their sacrifice, we can rejoice. Such growth and such change so strange if those heroes returned from their rest. For the Formby they knew, with the fields wet with dew, has exploded like bombs in the west. Estates now abound, where once was the ground, a carpet of flowers and grass. Let us forget that we all stand in debt to those names etched in stone as we pass. Holy Trinity. Our church in Formby came to birth in 1889. She rose so proudly from the earth, a symbol of love divine. A monument from man to God, a home for all to share. The comfort of his staff and rod, inbuilt with love and care. A building to his glorious name, 
a sanctuary of peace, a haven where the faithful came and here their fears released. Life's differing fortunes down the years, the good times and the bad, the jubilations and the fears, here shared both warm and sad. The evils of the First World War, the dreadful bitter loss, we shall remember evermore, reminds Bereridos. The joy of marriage solemnized, the miracle of birth, the parting grief of sad demise at journey's end on earth. The wreathing and the gift of toys, mothering Sunday flowers, the Easter eggs for girls and boys, the harvest and God's powers, the guides, the brownies, scouts and cubs, the youth club and young wives, the school, the bowling, tennis clubs, all milestones in our lives. An old yet ever youthful church, all changing yet the same, a loving, caring, hopeful church to the glory of God's name. The choir singing with the sound of voices raised in praise. O oh Lord, we pray, let grace abound in all the coming days. And may our church live day by day into eternity, that unborn congregations may bless Holy Trinity. Mrs. Mitten. A hundred years she lived and more, in fact, a hundred and four. And in that time she left our shore, the year 1904. She thought Australia would be fair and sailed away to sea. But six months later she got there and missed her old Formby. Australia was a barren land, so dusty and so hot. She and her husband hand in hand, back on the ship they got. Straight back to Formby they both came and opened up her shop in Mittens Lane, which took her name, and there was glad to stop. The smallest shop you'd ever find, the best stock in the land, so dark the kids could rub her blind, but no, they'd all be banned. This pokey little whitewashed place was full of everything, tinned food and soap to wash your face, bread cakes and balls of string, potatoes, firewood, veg and fruit, Sweets, biscuits, matches too, cinnamon sticks and licorice root, and paper for the loo. Set in the fields in clean fresh air, right opposite the farm. She'd never be a millionaire, but could live in peace and calm. No trace today of that small shop, no sign of where she'd been, no indication of the spot, which now is Smithy Green. Fall behind. Amid the fields and plowshares, this edifice appeared, a blot upon the landscape, but needed, said our peers. It housed the pre-war school kids who had nowhere else to go, in a lovely brand new building, looking like the Earl's Court show. They came from Holy Trinity, St. Peter's and St. Luke's, to start a new and different life with implements and books. They'd never heard of science, done some burners full of gas. Iron filings, blobs of mercury, and Miss Parry head of class. The boys were taught their woodwork, and the girls to cook and sew. Mr Nelson was our idol, and all Aggie scared us so. The Browns brought out our culture, in both music and in art, and sports and games were uppermost, and closest to the heart. Blundell, Formby, Scaresbrook were the houses of the school, 
and sports day was the highlight, competition was the rule. Now 50 years have passed away and new generations swat a different type of learning than their forebears ever got. More academic skills are taught, technology's the rule. The education now required is light years from our school. The school led down the guidelines which set us on the track. The rest was really down to us and now we can look back. Just look around our formula now with houses by the mile, all built, maintained and serviced by those kids from Formby High. Good joiners, brickies, handymen, gardeners, plumbers, sparks. They came in on the building boom and in business made their marks. And so the school goes on today with kids who work and try to emulate their parents who once went to Formby High. Muriel Sibley, poem number one. We were so blind we could not see the things we loved and lost. The cottages then tree by tree into the past were tossed. Our fields and lanes and ditches deep so slowly went away. We shed no tears, we did not weep, we lived just for the day. Then into form became the one who saw what we could not. Her bicycle she perched upon, and with her camera shot, each building as it bit the dust, each leafy lane that fell. Her records captured for our trust, the place we'd known so well. With paintbrush, film, and artist pen, such beauty she'd record. Quite unappreciated then, we locals would have scorned. How could we know so long ago how fortunate we were? When Muriel came and said hello, and stayed her life to share. We owe so much to her today, a precious record now, of how our lives were yesterday. Mrs Sibley, take a bow. Dr Tree's Surgery We know that coughs and sneezes will quickly spread diseases. We know the things we're all supposed to eat. We know that high cholesterol is like low-octane petrol and makes our engines tick not quite so sweet. We know that booze and nicotine are poison like the wicked queen placed in the apple for Snow White to eat. We know that lack of exercise and sausage, bacon, eggs and pies are full of things that really aren't a treat. White flour and sugar too refined are foods we know that are defined as just as bad as eating bright red meat and fruit and veg with pesticides, plus chicken and the rest besides, all narrow down the menu we can eat. Salmonella and listeria cause some of us hysteria and fritter each week. So when we know all this today, why do we still persist to say, we're here again to see our poor GP? The doctor's at our beck and call, why don't we just forget it all? Then she'd be bored and not run off her feet. And finally, in this soccer-mad mecca of Merseyside, and with the changing climate of easy travel and the growth of Formby, our own little football team has become completely overshadowed by the outstandingly successful first division teams of Liverpool and Everton, with the familiar red and blue now predominating over the orange and black of the past. The tragedy of Hillsborough touched us all, 
transforming the lives of three of our young people and focusing the world's attention upon us. Hillsborough is already part of our history. Hillsborough, it's here, it's fab, it's here again. We're on the Wembley Trail. We'll slaughter forest, Norwich too. We know we just can't fail. Scouseland's going to win that cup. It's good as ours, we know. The reds or blues, it's in the bag for Merseyside to show. The whistle blew at Hillsborough's ground. The crowd's still pouring in. All herded up and penned like sheep to see their heroes win. The roars of Scouse encouragement rose loudly to the skies. Come on, you Rebs died on their lips as horror filled their eyes. The surging crowds, the screams of pain, the panic and the fear, the carnage as the buckled rails left no escape from here. Trapped in the snare like cornered rats, the anguished cries rose up. Our frantic souls in terror now, robbed of that Wembley Cup. The devastation all around, such madness named us for. Young lives snuffed out when just begun, their tragic days cut short. The game was stopped, the war was lost, the troops condemned to die. That peaceful Anfield army wept beneath the April sky. The glory that was Liverpool, the pride of Merseyside, lay lifeless on a battlefield, whilst round them others cried. No hooligans, no one to blame, no lessons learned, it seems. First Ibrox, Bradford, and now this, our football's shattered dreams. Is this the end? We've had so much. Why us the plea goes up? Please God be with us in our need, for Satan's claimed our cup. Living the simple life. So which one was your favourite poem? The marmalade cart, the boathouse, Tasker, or was it that Formby had two cinemas, the Queen's and the Embassy? Join us next time when we hear more from the village that was Formby. We close this podcast with Joan Rimmer's poem, Living the Simple Life, set to music by Stephen Gerrard. Enjoy.
Just enough for each one's need Ducks and hens supplying eggs A washed tub and some dolly pegs A self-sufficient simple life A working man and a homely wife With lots of children running around Helping to work the ground Living the simple life How things used to be When fishing and farming were the ways in old form B This was the way of form before Whose northern accent softly spoke Country ways shared by them all When the squire lived in Formby Hall These memories of days of old Stories grandparents told To children sitting on their knees To hand down to the family Living the simple life How things used to be Fishing and farming were the ways in old form Those children now themselves are old Their grandchildren now are told Tales of how life was before When homes were thatched with an earthen floor Living the simple life How things used to be When fishing and farming were the ways in old form be Joan A. Rimmer's book, The Village That Was Formby, is now presented as a full audio book. If you would like a copy of the book, and there are a few remaining, you can email us at formbypodcast.com. Prices, £25. And that includes the celebration scrapbook of VE Day. The price includes postage and packing. If you'd like to contact us on formbypodcast at gmail.com. Formby Podcast is an independent production. Join us next time for the rest of Joan Rimmer's book, The Village That Was Formby. See you next time. Living the simple life, how things used to be. When fishing and farming were the ways in old form being.